Hello, everybody. And tonight we are doing Judas and the Black Messiah. Judas and the Black mm. Messiah been in development for quite a few years since 2014. It's been through a number of different rewrites and hands. The original was getting written by the Lucas Brothers that I learned, which are their twin comedians. You'll see them on Comedy Central all the time. They got yeah, the glasses. Yeah, really. They the same. They're the original writers, or they wrote the original screenplay, shopped it around for a few years, didn't get picked up. Uh, and then once uh, Will Burson and Shaka King, who is the director and uh, new writer, picked it up, uh, they all collaborated together. Ryan Coogler produced. People know Ryan Coogler from Black Panther and Creed movies. So lots of big old uh, talented behind-the-camera power. And it stars Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Keith Stanfield. Sorry, Lakeith Stanfield. Lakeith. I, I think I yeah, I think I kind of slurred through it. Lakeith Stanfield and Jesse Plemons, among others. Uh, and it is sitting at a very high Rotten Tomatoes and a very high user score. And every pretty much score has this up there. I'm sure it'll be in the awards conversation. Did you guys know anything about Judas and the Black Side going in? Nothing at all. Classic nothing at all. You've known <laughs> stuff about the last couple, so it's, yeah, it's yeah, nice to I... get back to... <laughs> Get back to that comfortable nothing. <laughs> I, I agree. I've impressed myself. Somehow I sort of knew about this when it was filming. Was that like a year and a half ago? Or, well, probably more than that now. But um, I felt like I knew about it when it was filming, but I it kind of fell off my radar. So It was in like late 2019 they were filming it. Um, yeah. It was supposed to be in uh, 20... Or they finished in twenty end of twenty twenty. I think it was supposed to be like an Oscar film, so they just pushed it, only had to push it a month or two. So it was close to on schedule. Anyway, Judas and the Black Messiah. For those who don't know, FBI informant William O'Neill infiltrates the Illinois Black Panther Party and is tasked with keeping tabs on their charismatic leader, Chairman Fred Hampton. Uh, I don't want to. There's a whole much more on the thing, but I think that's enough to kick it off. If you haven't seen or heard about Judas and the Black Messiah, it's another one of those in theaters as well as HBO Max. So whichever you have access to, it's in one of those or both of those. So go check it out if you have any interest, because we're going to spoil it here now. We rate things here at Films with Women in My Life based on four criteria, and those are the plot, the characters, the visual and sound, and the overall resonance and feel of the movie. It's the late 60s, and there is a 17-year-old petty criminal named William O'Neill that just go by Bill or Wild Bill in this movie. That's Lakeith Stanfield's character. He is uh, stealing a car at the beginning of the movie, uh, impersonating a uh, FBI agent. His reasoning behind that is, uh, you know, he can come in with a uh, with a gun or a knife, to, and that'll scare people. But what will really scare, what really scare uh, the black community is if you come in with a badge, it's like you got a whole army behind you. That's our little big. Uh, theme and kickoff point when he gets picked up by FBI agent played by Jesse Plemons that is uh, what's his name? Uh, Roy Mitchell FBI special Roy. agent Roy Mitchell and he's like uh, you know you're gonna you could be going to jail for 18 months for this crime, 5 more years for impersonating an officer uh, or you could help us out with something and what he's gonna just agree to help them out do is uh, infiltrate the Black Panther Party which is picking up steam at this time uh, and that is led in Chicago, the Chicago chapter, by Fred Hampton, uh, who has been portrayed in um, the movie we did earlier this year, Trial of the Chicago 7. I'm sure there will be a mm -hmm. little bit of crossover with that movie as well. 
uh, same time period, similar events. Uh, but the whole movie pretty much shows uh, Bill kind of rise through the ranks and gain Fred Hampton's trust and become part of his inner circle. Fred goes around and appeals to different uh, civil rights groups and uh, different fractured like communist uh, party kind of groups and all kinds of different uh, anti-capitalists seems to be their their modus operandi. Uh, their their first their first uh, goal is to get rid of capitalism, and uh, they are of course being stopped by. The U.S. government, uh, there's the big bad behind it all, who was director of the FBI at the time, J. Edgar Hoover, played by Martin Sheen. Uh, mm. But it's the FBI. That was Martin Sheen? That was Martin Sheen, yeah. He, uh, he had some prosthetics on there. Martin Sheen, that Holy Martin Sheen. Cow. He's been around okay. for 40, 50 years. Um, but it's this big FBI uh, trying to crush the Black Panther Party and Fred Hampton specifically, as he is their charismatic leader in Chicago. Uh, and Bill is being used as a tool to kind of go and infiltrate things. And he is, uh, he's, I guess, our main character, but really we follow him, Fred, and to a lesser degree, Roy Mitchell. Mm, it's enough of, to the jumping off point. Why don't we go to Mama K this time? What do you think of this plot? Well, based on true life, but this is a piece of, of history during that time that I had no idea that was going on. Like, these characters are not, they weren't first in for, in, in the forefront of, um, the Black Panther movement. It's not the people you think about when you think about that. Um, I know that Huey Long was a big deal at this time that he was imprisoned and it was a big, you know, free him from jail kind of situation. So I think this is, there's probably so many stories like this that are just like, I don't want to say they're little stories, but they're, you know, sort of behind the scenes kind of things that just really didn't get the kind of coverage, probably because he was an undercover you know, FBI informant at the time. So I, I was intrigued by it. Um, I like the name of the movie, the, the way that. Great name. You know, you're putting, Love the name. Yeah. Um, it's perfect for this Judas and the Black Messiah. And I think that the plot of this movie is really um, engaging. Once it gets going, the first little bit is, is a little, is a little rough. Um, and I think that also the, it didn't seem long after it started going, but that little bit to get you going. Um, not sure what they could have do, done to change that, but uh, I'm going to give this plot, the plot of this movie, a four. All right, good start. What do you think, Jess? Um, don't make fun of me if this is a dumb question, but what is your interpretation of the name of the movie? Really? Oh, that's uh, that's a perfectly acceptable. Uh, you know, okay, Judas. <laughs> very, Judas very famously uh, is the per the person in biblical history for Christianity. And okay, yes, I knew well. that, but I was like, where in this movie was there ever a Bible? Because I don't remember. So that part. Ju- <laughs> Judas Judas betrayed Jesus, and this is Judas right. and the Black Messiah, a man oh. betraying betraying the Black Messiah in this case, Fred right. Hampton, and Judas is yeah Bill. So that's okay, the, so the I, I agree. in general. Yeah, yeah, now that I know that um, analogy, I agree. This is an excellent name for the film. Unlike movies we've done before called The Little Things, which I hated <laughs> you did not like that, that movie. Because <laughs> it just sounds so enchanted and it was nothing like that. <laughs> okay, um, like Mama K, I, I really enjoyed this movie too. Um, the past couple years, Black historical films has been super popular, but I think... This definitely falls in my top three. I need to see the list of all of them because there's been so many. Um, but I really, really like this one. It was really fun to follow. 
It was two hours long, but it did go pretty fast. The whole movie is basically watching Bill like shit himself the entire time because he's just in <laughs> such a terrible situation. And he's a perfect right. actor to do it because you can just see his face just melting in, in agony the entire time. Um, and it really does put you on, on your heels with that. Um, I didn't realize this was a true story until the very end, so I'll talk about that. I actually watched the the post-credit part, and that really pieced it together, too. Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw Jesse Plemons in it, I was like, oh my gosh, I got enough of him when I saw I'm thinking of anything. <laughs> so I feel like I can't watch too many movies with him in it, because, I mean, he, he does his part, he's good, but I don't, I don't know. I just, something about him, I just... I don't want to be his friend, and I don't want to watch him on TV. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's in everything, so it's he's not too a late. guy you yeah. want to be. I, I like his roles, but he's not like the guy you want to hang out with. It, like his characters are not that guy. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Never. Um, but there are a ton of strong characters. I think we'll talk about that more um, in the next section. But I am also going to give this a four four stars. Yeah, uh, this is. I, I'm. A, I'm. A little opposite of Mal K in that I think the f- it starts super strong and it goes really strong for a while. And it, uh, for me, it hits a lull after there's like a, a shootout scene, uh, kind of at like a little over at the halfway point. Um, not Which quite shootout scene? <laughs> It's the like shootout, it's, just a, the, it's a series of shootout scenes. There's not, a, there's not. I don't feel like there's that. Many. The one where, um, uh, where Bill tries the, to get to the, um, what is it, the the roof the whole time, and Holly. Yeah, he's saying, trying like, to go to the roof. <laughs> yeah, right. he's trying to and get to the roof the in quotations when you know he's really just trying to save his ass. But yeah, right. that I like that scene a lot when we get there. But um, after that happens, I feel we kind of lull a little bit until. Uh, What's the what's the re kick up point? I guess is is the Lil Rel scene when Lil, uh, Lil Ro Howery, uh, the comedian, shows up as an undercover FBI agent and, and oh, gives, yeah. gives Fred his final orders, and uh, then through the end is great. But there is like a half hour lull towards the end. Shaka King, uh, he is this is his second feature movie. His first was like a stoner com- buddy comedy from like six years <laughs> ago. He's done a lot of TV. Most recently, he did Shrill, that uh, Hulu series with Aidy Bryant. Uh, so he's more of like he does a lot more comedic kind of stuff. Um, but I thought I think he holds up pretty well as a director telling this story. He definitely has a little pace issue at the end there. Uh, but the writing is really good. I think the characters are gonna what really carries this past uh, past its um, otherwise like good not greatness. Um, so I'm I'm gonna give this a three five for the plot. I'm definitely higher though when we get to this next segment, which is the characters. Like I said, main characters. Mm-hmm. Bill, Lakeith, Fred Hamptons are like 1B, even though he's like the leader of the party. We don't follow his story quite as much, although we do have a, a fair number of scenes with him and his his uh, his girlfriend. Um, and uh, there is, you know, uh, Jesse Plemons, Roy Mitchell is like our FBI guy we follow. Uh, a lot of other smaller characters in here. We can point out ones that stood out and ones that uh, maybe didn't hold up. But what do you think of these characters, Jess? Um, I think characters might have to be my favorite score. I'm probably going to give it a solid Cinco. Um, Ooh, slides <laughs> into solid Cinco. Yeah. No, I I really liked Bill the best because he is such a good actor and his expressions were spot on and he's just in true turmoil the entire movie. Um, and you can really see his frustrations 
he tries to get out of his little plan or his promise with uh, Roy and that doesn't work out and then he becomes, becomes close with Fred and he has this moral responsibility that he's not really holding up. So just watching him sweat was so good. Um, and I, <laughs> I really liked sometimes. Yeah, I liked Fred Hampton too. I mean, he was such a prominent leader. He he knew what he was doing. He was passionate about his his work, and he really did um, bring the community together. Um, Jesse Plemons again, a little rat, <laughs> disgusting. Sometimes he was like a little bit nice and you were like, okay, I guess you're not like a terrible person, but <laughs> then you're just like, no, you, you are, um, a scumbag. Um, let's see. Fred's girlfriend. I don't, she didn't have that big of a role. Wait, I am confused. She, she did not die at the end. Right. So when the no, last no. shootout happened, yeah, I don't, why did they spare her and everyone else kind of got shot? I didn't understand that. So there's, well, there's two, there's two women in that scene. There's uh, Deborah Johnson, who's Hampton's girlfriend, and she's right. the one who makes it all the way to the end. And I think she might even still be alive today, actually. Um, I, I can't remember, but she, uh, she, she has does, a different she gets name it. now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the other woman, the other woman with the with the afro who stays behind and fights. That's a different. Uh, that is what's her name? I think that's Judy Harmon, uh, Dominic yeah, Thorne's Judy. character. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, another they get her, friends. They get her out because she's they're they're clearly going for Fred. They, in in these takedowns, they're trying to take down the leaders of of their their opposition. And since Fred Hampton's their you know the FBI's target here. The closest person to him would be his girlfriend, so they they know that she's more important to get out than uh, you know, kind of the foot soldiers. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. So uh, she made out in the end again. I don't think that she had a huge part other than carrying a baby. Um, but I mean, <laughs> she, she did her job. Um, who else was a big part? I, that's all I'm going to talk about. Your turn. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, okay. So that's a that's a solid cinco from you, Jess. That's a solid cinco yes. from Jess. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll, maybe I'll start with the smaller characters because we were talking um, about her. I think that she. What is her name again? Sorry. Deborah Johnson's um, the character. Deborah, Dominique yeah. Fishback is the actor. Yeah, I think I think Deborah's part in this was sort of to further like humanize um, humanize Fred a little bit and and just sort of give him some some backstory where although i mean he comes across as completely charismatic and even though he is you know legitimately militant um and un unapologetically militant he still he comes across as as you know kind of a soulful character uh finding out that he's really you know only 21 when all of this takes place is kind of yeah, uh, sobering yeah so i mean it i think that having her there for me that that sort of helped sort that sort of helped that along um also you don't want to ignore women in film at all so you need to make sure you've got some sort of you know <laughs> character there and she's you know and she she birthed his son and now that's you know she they they both still sort of carry on the what is modern day black panther party so 
Yeah, uh, Fred Hampton Jr., sort of... her the son, is is a chairman of uh, several Black Panther Party clubs uh, today. Right, right. Where it, you know it's it's not like it is. It's not like it was then, where it was on the papers and you know basically how the media portrayed it was that there you're anarchists and and you know you would, we would call them terrorists with the, you know today's lingo. So. Um, so I think I, uh, I, I was Roy, good with Roy her. says they're like the sorry, I didn't mean to Roy Roy's like the said they were like the black KKK, which is how they were portrayed for a long time, which we know today is a it is not a right. fair comparison at all. Well, and it's a really interesting piece of the movie that I guess we could have talked about in plot in that, you know, they do get together with all of these this sort of ragtag fugitive fleet of outcasts from quote capitalist society. I mean, they go to what I don't know that it was a KKK meeting, but it was definitely uh, a Southern inspired white supremacist kind of <laughs> meeting to be like, uh, yeah, your people getting treated just like our people are getting treated. And it's because of the man and the man is this, you know, nefarious capitalist kind of uh, situation. And it's also the police. I mean, we don't the police are a big character in this movie with a lot of different, you know, a lot of different policemen representing that. And part of it is just the foot you know, the beat cop and then the FBI in in the in Roy's sort of strata and then the FBI with J. Edgar Hoover being there. So um, those are all kind of characters and they don't people sort of get a pass here with a lot of things. The police, I don't think, ever get a pass in this movie at all, ever, um, because no. they they're the ones who even with Roy, they threaten him. And I think that's why he doubles down. And goes hard on um, um, our main yeah. character. Yeah, so. what was that? They like they talked about his family, and right. basically said if yeah, if you don't do what we say, your family's destroyed. The Edgar Hoover scene with Roy is is pretty. Is, I think it's a good scene, and it's uh, yeah, it forces it forces Roy to be to stick you know stick with his FBI. Like he doesn't have a. He has a choice, obviously, but like he, it's it's his his upward pressure from uh, the powers that be, right? And they're making it personal, and that's what they do in this whole movie. They, you know, Roy makes it personal with our main character, uh, J. Edgar Hoover makes it personal with Roy. I agree, that's a really great scene, and Jesse Plemons is, uh, I'm sorry, Jess, but he's amazing in that scene. Um, otherwise, <laughs> he's, he's a little bit lost. <laughs> his character is a little bit lost in this movie. He just kind of pops in and out, and. It, you know, totally necessary, but I think maybe not used to the fullest extent of what he could have been. I mean, it's not his story, but um, yeah. Th so then we have, you know, the two main characters. I was a little like, I kind of wished in the beginning, I was like, I wish these two characters were switched, like the the actors that played them. And five minutes into the movie, I realized how wrong I was. Um, I'm, I really like Lakeith Stanfield a lot, um, and Daniel Kaluuya, but I think that, you know, this was just really a juggernaut for Lakeith Stanfield. And, um, I think the reason I remember hearing about this movie is that he was having some, you know, personally was having some mental health issues during or right around the time of the filming of this. And I, as I'm watching him, I feel like I'm watching him crumble and it was kind of heartbreaking to know that you know, he was having issues in his real life and that this is what he was portraying on screen too. And his, he, he just gets edgier and edgier as the movie goes on. I didn't find that there was really a lull for me once, once we got started. Um, and Daniel Kaluuya's uh, character, I don't think I've ever seen him 
I don't know if it was the fashion clothes situation, but he was so thick and sausagey. I don't I don't know what to think about that. There's my quote right there. He was so thick and sausagey. <laughs> Great. Nice. Oh, the real, um, real real Fred Hampton was a was a uh, a stocky fellow. Well, that's what that's what I figure. But um, it was just weird to see him that way because I'm used to seeing him like, you know, either in his get out situation or Wakanda situation. So, um, yeah, I I thought these characters. Who am I missing? I don't think I'm missing anybody. There, there's you know, there's some supporting characters within the Black Panther movement um, that are interesting, but I get them confused because I don't think they're on screen long enough, and they all kind of blend together for me. Is they they all seem to have the same motivation behind them uh i did enjoy uh loray is that his name the the comic actor oh lorel lorel yeah i i every time i see him i enjoy him and he was perfectly he's cast as this sort of yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he was perfectly cast in in the little piece that he had too so uh i want to go with jess and i'm gonna cinco the characters all right, Cinco and these characters. Um, the two <laughs> the two leads are undeniably amazing. Uh, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, I've been you know been on him for almost a decade now with his early Black Mirror days. So anyone Black Mirror, I champion forever. Uh, and Lakeith <laughs> is like he he may he'd make my like top ten actors from the past five years. I think him and Jesse Plemons actually probably both would. Uh, Lakeith is so good in this. <laughs> Lakeith is so, he like, is so his good. character is my favorite character. And it's, it's really not that close because Fred Hampton's, like, the most likable character and his charisma, he he sells that charisma every time he enters the room. I like that first uh, third when he's forming. It's it's a real group, or it was a real uh, group called the Rainbow Coalition is that uh, group of him yeah. and the Hispanic group, uh, and they all kind of have their little thing together. Um, but... Yeah, Bill is such a, and he's—I like Bill because he's such a complex character. Like he's, uh, he's, he's like a sympathetic villain by the end because he, you know, he and we we see what happens to him in real life afterwards in that real life uh, interview. I was they, shocked that by that. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I knew a lot about. I didn't know anything about Bill O'Neill going in. I knew a good amount about Fred Hampton. I learned about Fred Hampton in school uh, after after Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. He's probably the third of the third most prominent black leader in that era for that. I knew anything about, um, unless you count like Muhammad Ali, but I just consider him like a a boxer kind of guy who also did that other stuff. Who's whose primary thing was this, um, beyond our top three. Uh, I, I, I have a bit of a wait because I don't think Dominique Fishback as Deborah Johnson was always, up to stuff here. I think uh, a lot of her scenes with Fred are not, they don't do anything extra. And I think it's a lot of her writing. And I don't think she really sells me. She, she, she pulls tears on me too. And I just, I don't ever, I don't ever get over it with, with her. Uh, it's not, uh, it's, it's, she's, I think she's in there to help, you know, help us humanize Fred, but I didn't, I didn't need anything really more to make me 
you know, want to be on Fred's side. I don't even share all of Fred's beliefs, and I was on Fred's side because he's just that right. charismatic. He walks in the room and he lights it up, and he you believe. But uh, yeah, I don't like to dog on. Uh, she's not not been in a ton of stuff, but it was uh, one of the weaker performances, unfortunately. Uh, and then as far as people we haven't talked about, I mean, we already talked about Lil Rail, Martin Sheen. Uh, but, uh, Darrell Britt Gibson, who plays Bobby Rush, who's the co-founder of the Black Panther Party chapter in Chicago, he's got the glasses and he's this very slender look guy. Um, yeah. he's, he's in a lot of scenes and he stands out to me and I, he, he's one of the people I was going through like uh, the Wikipedia's seeing who was highlighted, who's a real person. He has been a U.S. congressman since uh, 1993, still to this day. So he's been serving... What? In the real U.S. Uh, Congress for almost thirty years now, and he Out of also Chicago? holds at Illinois' first congressional district. Yeah, okay. In the U.S. House of Reps, and he also holds the distinction, just a little extra trivia, of being the only person to ever defeat former President Barack Obama in a uh, political race. He beat him in oh. the uh, in the primaries in two thousand for for that rep seat. So. Uh, Bobby Rush hmm. going hard and good performance. I, I one of the one of the ones that stood out to me of the smaller of the smaller characters. Uh, so that's enough on the characters. We've all given our things. I'm not gonna fiesta it. I, I really think Deborah Johnson's character is um, a bit of a weight and contributed to the the slow part. Also, they they follow this other guy during that part. Uh, um, J- is it Jake? Where that during that like. End of the second act. Oh yeah, I forgot they kind about of, him. Yeah, that kind of was just like <laughs> hey, I don't know if I need all this kind of stuff here. This isn't the people I care about. So I'm I'm gonna four or five it. It's still quite good. I can't I can't solid it though. There's a couple of holes on towards the top of the bill that. Uh, but but no disrespect to our to our top three actors because they all knock out of the park. On to visual and sound, Mama K. What do you got for that? Okay, this movie was dark. Like. I could barely see what was happening sometimes dark. And I think that that's just because I need to get back to the theaters and see something on a big screen. I don't know. I'm going hey, you like your TV settings <laughs> screen blind <laughs> or something. Well, I was watching on my iPad, which is probably not the best thing to uh, do, but uh, all the, every, every, every other room in my, yeah. <laughs> every other room <laughs> in my house was occupied by people either working or schooling. So this is, this is what we had to do. So it could be that, um, so there was, I, I did a lot of squinting, especially in the very first part. Maybe that's why I couldn't really get into it very much is because I was kind of confused about what was going on. There was a lot of nighttime scenes, uh, not well lit. And then when they got inside houses, sometimes that was also not well lit. So, um, yeah, I kind of bummed about that, that I didn't really get to maybe experience it the way I should have. And that's going to color this, the marks on this one, um, and the sound, though, guess what? I really, really like the soundtrack to this. Yeah, it's um, a good soundtrack. <laughs> shockingly so. Not just the music. I mean, not just, you know, uh, whatever the songs and the music, but just the choices they made in um, certain musical interludes. There was this, several times during the movie, there was this, like, dissonant background soundtrack that they were playing, and it was just so perfectly... Um, agitating and I felt and I felt that and I know that that's what I was supposed to feel by it um, because there's just a lot of you know this movie can conjure up a lot of feelings for a lot of different reasons and um, I think just I was feeling it for the conflict for the main character mainly but also 
you know, you kind of relating to what's happening in life now and what's, you know, how, how is things, this is 50, 60 years ago and how have things really changed? How have they changed? That kind of thing. We've talked about this in other podcasts too, but um, yeah, I felt that that part of it really lended itself to the movie really well. Being, a, being dark is probably, you know, okay too, because I think that a lot of these kind of things that groups were doing had to be under cover of night and, you know, you're not going to be, putting yourself out there, you know, in the, in the daylight, if you're planning on doing any sort of nefarious deeds, like some of the characters were planning on doing. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm in the middle on this. This is not my strong suit. I'm going to give it a three. What do you got, Jess? Um, so I, like Mama K, I also watched this on my iPad and I thought the exact same thing. (laughs) My friend Karen also watched this movie and she said, I really wish I could have seen it in theaters. And I completely agree. It would have been an entirely different experience. Uh, like you said, hearing all the music or all the gunshot scenes, like on all around you, surround sound with a huge screen. It definitely would have been different than on my uh, dinky iPad. Um, (laughs) But whatever, that's all I got. So work with what I have. There were there were a few scenes in here that I that stuck out to me, and and I don't know why. Like the scene where Fred Hampton talked to was it Jake Winter's mom about about nothing mm. really. It was just kind of she he knew her son died, and they're just yeah I don't know just talking about nothing and being there for her. I don't know why that scene stuck to me so much, but I really like that. Also, towards the very end, when Bill was at the bar and someone approached him um, with the newspaper and the drugs. First yeah. off, how did he know he was there? That's what I was like. I thought Bill specifically <laughs> went to a bar where he was like, no one knows me here because I'm stressed out and I need to be by myself. And then this lurking guy is exactly who he wants to meet. So how did that happen? You didn't see the the badge you gave him at the end? Yeah, the badge was him his badge. Yeah, so, you know, he was tipped off by Roy Mitchell, the FBI agent. I'm sure he told him where to find him. Oh, uh, because I was like, how did, was he followed the entire time or what? It's yeah, how they find I anybody. I mean, thinking that too. Well, you know, they find, they whenever, you know, they go to, in the middle part where they go to the building, oh, who's here? Like, oh, we got a guy on the inside. He's going to tell us where where he is. Right. Like, you know, we know that Bill is not the only informant. There's that other leader, uh, the other security leader who's in on it. And then this guy is also an undercover something or another. Uh, Lil Rell's character is that is that guy. So they got eyes everywhere. I didn't, I didn't think it was unlikely that the FBI could track somebody. <laughs> I don't know. I thought I I liked the bar feel for that. I don't know why, but the bar was just it seemed like speakeasy ish. It was uh, I don't know. It, it was a different scene because everything else was just either someone's apartment, someone's office outside, and that was just uh, a little different. Um, so that stood out to me. The two big shooting scenes, the one at the end and mm. the one towards the middle. Um, mm-hmm. I thought those were shot pretty well. Um. They, they seemed super realistic to me. Um, I think those are the biggest ones that stuck out in my head. So what did I say I was giving this? A 3-5? Is that what I said? Yeah. 
Hey, I don't think you had a number. <laughs> there you yet, go. That's, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Similarly, my favorite scenes in this visually are the middle shootout. I think is my favorite scene in the movie. I think all the way uh, they get they get Deborah out of there is good, and we have uh, we have Judy Manning the front, and then we also get to see Bill's panic trying to find a way out while still trying to you know not blow his cover all while these cops are are yelling bullshit outside and then one one as soon as they see one gun they're like all right everyone get 50 squad cars in here and start blasting exactly. like they're just waiting for any any little thing that they can do to just open have any excuse to open fire with the protesters in the back like that great great structured scene uh that's i think my favorite one in the movie i also really like the bar scene uh with the with the I don't final think they reveal were... What? They weren't protesters, was weren't they? Just the neighborhood. I mean, I don't. Well, I didn't think. Uh, they yeah, were. but they, I'm saying they were protesting what was happening. Oh yeah, right. But it's like, not like literally they were protesting. Stop shooting this building. That's please. true. They were protesting. Uh, there were there yeah. were no signs though. I just want to be clear about that. No, it wasn't a pre-organized <laughs> protesting. It was. Uh, they are literally protesting. It was a reactionary protest. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we are. We talked a little bit about the J. Edgar Hoover sitting Roy down as a good scene. Um, I saw this on my, you know, fairly large TV. We just recently, uh, <laughs> Nicole got me a nice uh, sound bar with some surround sound and a bass. So what, when that good soundtrack was going through, it, uh, it wasn't quite movie yeah. theater, but it was it was definitely a better than an iPad. So I, I, I got a little more <laughs> of that experience. So I was able to see this movie decently well. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of good. Uh, oh, and the, when when Fred goes into like that other faction, what are they called? Like the the crosses or what what's that other group called oh cross uh, creek cross creek yeah and they go in and like those guys are armed to the teeth and like they got everything yeah. and and fred and his group has to go in there and then also uh, bill gets recognized in there by one of the guys so there are some there are some standout scenes in here from a director who i get said at the beginning hasn't this is his biggest thing by far hasn't done a whole lot so uh, i'm gonna land on a four uh this is a pretty pretty solid work in here a lot of stuff that sticks out of a movie that wouldn't otherwise necessarily have that um, ending here. I mean, it's it's the real life ending. Uh, you know, uh, Bill <laughs> is ordered to not poison, but uh, heavily sedate Fred with his with a drink, um, and that is what happened in real life. That's why he did not uh, wake up at this four a.m. raid that the uh, that the FBI does. I might have just been Chicago police. I don't remember who literally did the raid, but it's obviously J. Edgar pulling the strings. Uh, they right. they they break in on a, on a bullshit uh, on bullshit reasoning. Shoot up uh, the the man who was manning the front, um, as well as Fred himself. Uh, and in the real life event, they say something like ninety something shots are fired by the cops. One was fired by any member of the Black Panther Party. So it's clearly an ambush. Uh, pre predetermined, uh, and Fred is killed in a very, at very best, suspicious. At at worst, just straight out, they murdered him. Um, and that's when we see the ending. Uh, you know, we see the ending speeches about Fred. Uh, we get uh, the testimony, not testimony, but like the after accounts that the real Bill O'Neill gives in 1989 on that uh, small documentary, um, where he talks about. <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to convince himself or others, but he's talking about how like he's proud of the work he did in this movie, and it's unfortunate what happened. Um, yeah, that was kind of you know, crazy. We find, we find out he gets bought out by by Roy, gives him not much, a couple hundred bucks, and the keys to a gas station. He's going to go, you know, under witness protection in real life and go live 
his last 15 years of his life out because after the uh, documentary airs, uh, the real life Bill, uh, he walked into traffic and his death was ruled a suicide um, by the police. Mm. So there you go. I think the age of 41, Bill was not old and was clearly haunted by his past and the things that he had a part in. So that's Bill how we end. older than 41, though. Was <laughs> he looked older than forty one? <laughs> he he was weathered. He was a weather, weathered yeah. gentleman at that point. So uh, that's the end of this movie. Um, little 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 dark, but it's what really happened. But uh, you know, there's beams of light. Maybe I don't know. Uh, what do you think of the resonance and feel, Jess? I think the um, the ending is going to really push my resonance and feel higher because I did not expect that that real life stuff to happen at all. And I'm so glad I watched it. Cause usually when the movie's over, I just close my iPad. I'm like, well, I'm done. But I did watch the <laughs> yeah. snip that had, what, can, what Bill... can start first? The actual credits are you hitting the off button sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I cannot believe that what happened to Bill in real life, especially when, um, in the movie, like his hands was trembling when he opened the manila envelope and saw the country a couple hundred bucks and the keys. Like it almost seemed like he, he wasn't going to go through with it or he was just going to take the hundred bucks and run away. And I, I really didn't think that this was like his new life because it, it aged him so much. It weathered him so much. I, I didn't think that he could stick with it. I, I really thought he would have ran away or done something, but the fact that it stick, stuck with him his entire life. I, I was amazed by that. Um, so I th- that itself is definitely going to resonate me for um, a while. Just with the movie, um, like I said earlier, I, I like this movie a lot. And honestly, I think it's because it was shot back in the day, but the quality is just so good. It feels the newest. <laughs> That's probably why I like it so much. It's just <laughs> I like the new movie feel and how good the picture is, how good the acting is. It's definitely why it's, it's up there for me. Uh, so I'm probably going to give it a four. What do you got, Mama Kay? Yeah, I I agree with Jess about a lot of things about the resonance and feel of this movie. It's not because it's a story that I wasn't familiar with. It just sort of opens all those doors to how many more you know stories like this are there, and our two main characters. You know, we're not going to know anything else from them, obviously, but um, of what's happening with the, you know carrying on. Um, even into today, the Black Panther Party um, coalition that, that that exists. So, and I also feel like, yeah, I feel, I just, it was heartbreaking. That last scene is that, you're right. It pushes the resonance and feels like overboard because it's heartbreaking to see. Eyes on the Prize was really, when that first came out, um, this was the second um, yep. like an addendum to the first one. And when Eyes on the Prize first came out, it was a big deal because it was, just sort of the first, I don't know, the first really big documentary about um, what was happening, you know, during that era with Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and, um, and going forward from that. So to see that he's on the show and I'm watching him talk about how he, you know, he seemed to have come to terms with what he had to do and that it was just sort of survival mode for him. And then he, then he's, you know, gone the next day is just like, yeah, that that might be the most powerful thing in this whole movie. Like that is just sort of the craziest thing. So, um, and the fact that 
I can totally see that happening with this man that I hadn't seen the whole film until that very end credit when it's the real guy. And I related so much to how Lakeith Stanfield played him that I can totally buy the situation. Yeah, that put it over for me. I, I'm going to give Resonance and Feel a four and a half. Yeah, so I, I knew, like I said earlier, I knew Fred Hampton, the the man, or, you know, knew of him, the man, uh, his role, uh, and how he died, and the su- suspicious ways he had died. I didn't know anything about Bill. I did not know anything about this real-life FBI informant, so his story was really interesting, and it being played by one of, you know, my favorite up-and-coming actors is uh, a cherry on top. Um, but, yeah, the ending it has a nice, that has a real solid gut punch, being based on a true story. Uh biopic historical drama usually not something that i have a high resonance feel for because usually one doesn't get to the it's not a tier type type of movie so it's just not the kind of movie that would do that nor is it usually a type of movie that has a bunch of memorable lines and a bunch of memorable scenes because it's it's more of uh learning about a thing and it's usually the story or the characters that'll carry it over uh but because this really has a lot of super solid scenes that I mean, I've watched this somewhat recently, but uh, stick with me. It's got a, it's got more stick than your average uh, historical biopic, historical drama. Um, so I think it's elevated by that. It's it's a four for me. Um, it's and that's uh, for a movie like this. I typically don't go above like a three or a three five, even if it's good. So uh, sticky, sticky for a movie like this for sure. And we biopics are, at- are total tear jerkers, Brennan. I don't know how you don't get that. This isn't a. Did you cry at this? I didn't cry at this. I got a little verklempt at the end, thinking, you know, just, uh, yeah, a little bit, but yeah. No. I think my, it's a real my story. resonance and feel is more of like shocked than tearjerker. Mine is sad. It's sadness a little bit. I mean, there's no, the, you know, the real stories don't usually don't have as much um, uh, tear. I know, but that's for you. I think in most real people's <laughs> lives, real stories actually do produce tears. I'm telling so. you, bio, that's why I said biopic, historical dramas, those are two categories that for me do not tend to elicit tears, and they also don't t- tend to be have memorable scenes with memorable big lines because the best stuff for storytelling purposes tends to be made up because you can do whatever you want and you can make things perfect. And this is. <laughs> very good for the real life material uh so i that's that's, that's why it's for um okay overall resonance feel we just did so we're at the end here uh <laughs> you're gonna recommend judas and the black messiah jess yes and i'm super glad that hbo is having uh this special or whatever where you can watch the theater movies on here for a month because otherwise i wouldn't have been able to see it so very fortunate I'm able to watch it and uh, recommend it to my friends. Yeah, HBO crushing it, and it's uh, yeah made Jess mm. our resident HBO watcher. So if it comes out on HBO, Jess doesn't have to go to a non-existent theater in her area. So <laughs> thank you, HBO, and I, the <laughs> company's partnering with them. Um, okay, you're recommending <laughs> Judas and the Black Messiah? I will, for many of the same reasons. We also cannot go to the theaters. For, so yeah, watch that HBO Max. I'm still the lone theater goer in my states where it's allowed, and I mean, not like anyone else goes. I'm pretty much the only one who goes, so it's pretty pretty safe. Um, but uh, yeah, I I recommend this. Uh, I'm glad if if one thing for the schedule being messed up for movie releases is that we got we've been getting a couple of pretty awesome January and February movies that we 
But otherwise, yeah. you're watching... It's usually a drag. The garbage, yeah. Like, <laughs> the first quarter of the year is just complete garbage. And I would say the last two months have been on a on above-average January and February, and this is leading the pack. And uh, yeah. even if 2021 ends with another weird thing where we don't get a bunch of movies, at least we have some other good options for, you know, 10 months away, end of the year list. So, good start. Three recommends of pretty solid variety for Judas and the Black Messiah. And uh, HBO Max and theaters, whichever you got, it's there. So that is it for this episode. Uh, tournament, I think, is going to be over by the time you're hearing this. We we don't know who won, though. It's but... been over for months, let's be Nicole honest. versus Nicole. <laughs> uh, I, 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 who will I, win? I, I might have made it. I don't know. We'll have to We'll have to check. I, had, I do have one movie alive as of this recording, so... Um, Yay. but yeah, you guys have, uh, you guys have been, uh, not in the running for a bit of time here, but that's, uh, anyway, if you want to go check out, uh, who won that tournament, which movie and which one of the, uh, hosts here picked the best team. That's on my Instagram, Brennan underscore pod host. That's also where you reach out with questions and suggestions. We just did, uh, a listener suggestion in our last episode, spirited away. So we are getting to mm. listener suggestions now. Another place you can reach out there is Films with the Women in My Life on Facebook. And you can also email the show, filmswiththewomen at gmail.com. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you guys for being on. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. It's Brennan's birthday time, everyone. Happy birthday, Brennan. Thank you. Thank you. It is my birthday <laughs> at some time around when this is being recorded and released. Exactly. Saying, it's not today. I and thought released. it was in two days, right? Well, again, well, we're recording I this on one day. It's getting released on uh, day. And the listeners probably were say. listening to it on a third day. So That's okay. It's he, around he my birthday time. wishes this whole time. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Till next time, this is Brent signing off saying thanks for listening and enjoy your movies. Thanks for listening to Films with the Women in My Life. If you enjoyed being a listener in our life, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Keep up with the latest from the show on Instagram at Brennan underscore pod host, on Facebook at Films with the Women in My Life, and on Twitter at Films Women Pod. Finally, you can email the show with questions and suggestions at filmswiththewomen at gmail.com. Original music for the show was created by Ian Burke and Chris Iwanek. Original artwork created by Nicole D'Alessio. This show is produced by Brennan Snyder. Thank you again for listening and enjoy your movies. Thank <laughs> you.